Hello, welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Aaron. I'm Clara, and we are the flames of the West that will guide you on this journey. That's right. Ba-da-da, 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 Thanks, Howard Shore. Oh my gosh, Howard, how did you get in here? <laughs> I thought I had the side door locked. <laughs> Steps out of your closet. The dog didn't. The dog didn't even make a peep. I don't know how he got in here. Okay, Howard, you can stay, but you need to be quiet. No more singing. No, not even the Hobbit one. He's a he's a shade walker or whatever. Yeah, he, walks he must between be. realms. Yeah, he just got right mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That'll happen. You'll get that. <coughs> Excuse me. Sometimes. Howard startled me, so I coughed. <laughs> Oh, here comes the dog checking on me. My dog, uh, every time I cough or sneeze, she has to come make sure that I am okay. So here's uh, unofficial mascot of the podcast, Hazel, making sure that I have not died. do not have like yeah some sort of real illness. <laughs> I had a cold about a month and a half ago now, and I'll tell you, I was fine. Um, Hazel, it was some of the most stressful times of Hazel's entire yes. life. Didn't Joe take her to work because she? Yes, my husband okay. had to take her to work because she would not leave me alone. She just stood next to the couch or the bed and shook, like quivered, in terror. So she's, uh, but all's well. She has confirmed I am not dying, and now she is sitting by by Howard, the shade of Howard Shore. Yes. Um, Anyway, welcome to episode 33. Yeah, 33. uh, I don't know. I had something for this and it's gone. Yeah. It's our Jesus episode. That's right. Uh, The ring goes south and a journey in the dark. Atmospheric. Spooky. It is spooky. Spooky. Spookiness here. Um, Before we go any further though i have to call back to the last episode if you remember aaron we talked about the trans the kind of transliteration on the ring oh, of yeah. like the the speech of the black mm-hmm. land written in an elvish script on this ring so that like isildur could read the lettering right. but didn't know what it meant okay and how i was like really struggling with this concept but finally i got there Okay. Okay. This happened to me this week. Wait, what? So, I, yeah. So I'm this. I I stumbled upon the black speech. No, I um am reading this biography on uh, Miyazaki. And so, if you're unfamiliar, Miyazaki is this like Studio Ghibli, right? Incredible mm-hmm. Japanese animator. I'm sure we probably all have at least some right. Contact not in front of Howard. You're going to make Howard feel second class. Howard's not an animator. He's fine. Howard's fine. Um, don't get me started on Joe Hiyashi. Then Howard Short might be out of here. But anyway, um, so I'm reading this biography on Miyazaki, and the biographer writes all of his film titles, really any title. I mean, he's written manga and stuff too. But all the film titles in English. But then she transliterates the Japanese title into the text so i can read what it says but i have no idea what it actually says other than like i know it says kiki's delivery service because i know that's what the movie is but same same thing right like if i didn't 
I would just see these, you know, Roman characters and know that they were supposed to be the Japanese language, but not actually written in Japanese. So I still don't know what they mean, even though they're written in a lettering I can recognize. So it happened to me. I had an Isildur moment. <laughs> I mean, of of the Isildur moments to have, that's probably one of the better ones. <laughs> Not keeping the ring. No, getting ambushed <laughs> by orcs. And, get right, yeah. getting got. <laughs> that happened to me. Um, but now we're moving on. We're moving past that. <laughs> <laughs> to these uh, chapters where we finally actually have the Fellowship of the Ring forming. I guess we should do a plot summary of what happens sure. here's what happens folks <laughs> the fellowship is formed they hang out in rivendell for about two months as you know these kind of scouts go out and look around and make sure that the way is relatively safe i guess we'll just use the word relatively it's not really gonna be safe they set off on their journey they try to cross the misty mountains they fail they go back down the mountains. They're assailed by wargs. They decide we're going to have to go through the mines of Moria. They journey through Moria. They find out that Balin, son of Fundin, is dead. Very dead. The end. It is as I suspected. <laughs> Great. Helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got a little I told you so. So that's what happens in these two chapters. In summation... There's a lot of ambiguity in the Ringo South, which I like. Did you know? Did you get kind of get that sense as well? In terms of Tolkien starts doing things that I I have never liked. In terms, I hate <laughs> when writers do this. Okay, so we'll so we can start with this red star. So, at kind of at the beginning of this chapter, he talks about Frodo's looking out his window and he sees this red star quote burning like a watchful mm. eye in the south. Uh, I look. I looked this up because we do have specific stars right. in Middle Earth that kind of correlate to stars that are actually in our sky. Tolkien has just kind of renamed them as mm-hmm. he sees fit uh, to his own mythology, which you know makes sense, right? Sure. Um, most of our constellations are based on, you know, Greek myth. Uh, obviously his would not be, so he sort of. Gotta give him a new name. Did his own did his own thing. So there are a lot of theories. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know uh-huh. if you glom onto any of these ones, or if you think there's an alternative another theory. So the the first theory is that the star is actually Mars, but doesn't like mean anything significant. The second theory is that the star is not any specific star, but it represents war, Sara in the eye, etc. Mm-hmm. The third theory uh, posits that it is the star Aldebaran, which is in the constellation Taurus and is often seen in the south on winter months. This person also said that it probably couldn't be Mars because Mars is a summer planet, which is true. Mars is not seen in the sky in the winter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or none of the <laughs> none above. Of the i'll give you option d i'm a nice teacher or a mean teacher yeah i don't know that might be me because if i select none of the above it means i have to come up with something Mm -hmm. uh i immediately assumed it was sauron like symbolizing or like you thought it was a vision of the eye i thought it was a vision of the eye interesting but that could be the movie poisoning my mind 
Because he has all those visions of yeah. the eye. Yeah. I see you. <laughs> it's one of the worst things about the movie, actually, <laughs> that the eye actually says, I see you. <laughs> we know it's a giant eye about all it can do is see. I mean, look. Good job. You achieved your main function. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, that's what I assumed. Okay. So kind of the the hot gaze of Sauron. Yes. Oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Kind of option B, but maybe a little more literal. Yeah, I did not read it as a symbolic star representing Sauron. I was just like Sauron's peeper. He's having a vision. I read it as be literal, like that okay. is it, like like it's a symbol of, only because of the sim the simile, right? It's burning like a watchful eye. Sure. Not that it is a watchful eye, but I do think it's representative of his what's going to happen as he goes further south. I mean, they should get that burning watchful eye some visine. They really should. But where's Ben Stein when we need him? <laughs> where's his money? So I want to know. I want to win it. <laughs> okay. But like beyond just this ambiguity about like mm. what is this red star, which, you know, okay, a little thinking we can say, okay, it's a symbol of these things that Frodo's about to face. Um, There's a part where um, Elrond's sons come back oh, from yeah. journeying down the silver yes. load and they only talk to Elrond, right? Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Cool. And we're told there are all kinds of exciting places, but they don't tell anybody about it. Yes. Helpful insight. Mm. Um, and Elrond presumably does not share that information with anyone because uh, it it's coming up in my notes here. Elrond is largely unhelpful in this section. So I had to look this up because I was like, wait, is what? Where were they? They were in Lothlorien, visiting their great auntie or whatever Galadriel is to them because they're somehow related they're uh, related they're like the Habsburgs uh, um, so yes they were in Lothlorien they have some special information for Elrond but it can't be shared with anyone else so this is ambiguity that I'm like get out of here with this Tolkien and then the third instance of this is when they're about to leave uh, Rivendell and Aragorn is like sitting mm-hmm. with his like head between mm-hmm. his knees because he's about to pass out um, and it, the text is like only uh, Elrond alone knew what this hour meant to him I'm like what is this what <laughs> like we know right this is the beginning of Aragorn's quest and like this is how he sets off to fulfill his destiny of becoming you know, this king of Gondor once again. But at the same time, like, why are we being sneaky about it, Tolkien? I don't know. Like, why the ambiguity? Um, I, I I don't know. There's just some this parts is... of this chapter where I'm like, be clear. <laughs> just be clear. You're writing a fantasy novel, not like some, like, you're not in a, like, you know, English lit class writing your prose whatever bullshit where you're like a 25 year old trying to make their short story seem great so they're just going to be ambiguous about everything like oh it's just symbolism like no 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 we'll cut that shit out i mean i have a theory go tolkien tolkien's not a very good writer <laughs> oh sorry 
<laughs> I mean, he has he has a lot of imagination, but I don't think he's very good at actually putting it on the page. And I swear to God, he didn't edit any of this. Oh, no, it reads like he no. just we hear about all these drafts and stuff he wrote from Christopher. And I'm like, but I don't think what was drafts. he doing? I think they're just like, notes. yeah, they're just notes. And then he wrote it in like and just kept going. It's clear he mm-hmm. didn't go back. Mm-hmm. My man didn't revise. No. Because like things are repeated. Things are kind of like changed. Yeah, there's like weird contradictory stuff occasionally. Yeah. No, he's not the greatest writer, but he writes a compelling story. So like we appreciate him. But no, he could have been a writer. <laughs> Sorry for my theory. I'm not mad <laughs> about it. And if you're mad about it, listener... Get a different podcast. This is our podcast. We're going to say what we think. Yeah. There are far worse things to be mad about in the world than us saying that Tolkien was maybe not the best writer. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so yes, I have in my notes Mm -hmm. that Baron and Lupin come up again in this chapter. Um, And I'm starting to think, and this I think is something we can think about kind of as we continue reading, especially the books about Frodo and Sam. Mm -hmm. I think that Tolkien is not only using the story as sort of a parallel for Aragorn and Arwen. I think it also parallels Frodo and Sam journeying to Mount Doom to destroy the ring. That's really good. Maybe even more than than uh, Arwen and Aragorn. I mean, certainly Arwen and Aragorn's meeting and kind of this mortal, you know, elf love story. Okay, great. But like the actual plot and sort of, uh, I I guess just plot of Baron and Luthien really mirrors Frodo and Sam Mm -hmm. journeying to, well, right. Baron and Luthien are trying to retrieve this relic, but sort of opposite but same thing like journeying into the bowels of yep. essentially hell Shelob takes the place of the wolf exactly yeah. so i really think that tolkien is sort of setting it up as a parallel to that as well because he specifically says that like the hobbits hear these stories and that they hear um the tale of baron and luthien they heard told in full the lay of baron and luthien and the winning of the great jewel mm-hmm. specifically that port like that yeah tack on of the end and the winning of the great jewel not just like hearing about the story um because again if you know the story you know that the winning of the great jewel Mm -hmm. means all the kind of perils perils that they had to go through in order to get it which really frodo and sam are about to experience a very similar yeah thing not the same obviously like Sam's but, not doing a sexy dance for the eye of Sauron. Uh, I think Frodo's Luthien and Sam's Baron. I would read. <laughs> Isn't that how that works? I think they. I think they're a little interchangeable okay. because Sam is certainly the helpmate, right? He yeah. takes that helpmate place that Luthien fulfills certainly. But like Frodo's the driver of all the action, the same way that Luthien was. Right. You know what I mean? Like so. Right, right, right. Out. But I, I, I think that they. I think there's a little more fluidity between Frodo, Sam, Baron, and Luthien than like Aragorn and Arwen and Baron and Luthien. Mm. Because I think at times Sam is the Luthien and Frodo is the Baron, but I think mm. at other times it's flip-flopped, mm. right? 
Okay. I do like that theory. I think it's very good. Very compelling. And I think we'll know. I, again, I think we'll be able to kind of analyze this more in full once we get closer to Mount Doom. Especially kind of who's playing what roles when. Sure. Um, I mean, think of like, you know, Frodo gets got by Shelob. And then Sam has to go rescue him from this dungeon of orcs. Like, how does that mirror Luthien entering into, you know, the dungeons of Sauron <laughs> uh, and saving Baron, right? And so I think we're going to see a lot of parallels there. And I think that's another reason why um, Tolkien keeps bringing up this particular story is it's this quest Right, it's the it's his one great yeah, quest. Yeah. There's no other questing really in the Silmarillion. Um, That's true. You know, like even right, um, Turin doesn't have a. Uh, he kind of, I mean, he accidentally does right because he eventually right. kills the dragon, but <laughs> but it's not like really a quest. It's just yeah, like it just sort of happens. Yeah. And then Tour again, like, doesn't really have a quest, right? He has no kind of specific singular goal in mind to achieve. Um, but I think that, you know, obviously Baron had one goal to get the Silmaril and Frodo and Sam have one goal to destroy the ring. And so I think, you know, Tolkien's kind of setting us up to think about these two quests um, mm-hmm. kind of in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. I like that. So that's why it keeps coming up. It, okay. If it makes you feel, it does make you feel better. Less angry about why it keeps being brought up. <laughs> At least I think that's no, why it that comes up sense. in this chapter. I think in you know the earlier chapters where Aragorn is like talking about clear, it, yeah. he's obviously talking about himself yeah. because he's talking about those early, you know, those early stanzas of Baron meeting Luthien, which is the exact same way that Aragorn met Arwen. But here he, we're talking about, you know, the end of the story is told. And that's really what Frodo okay. and Sam are kind of about to go into. And so I I think that's kind All of right. Tolkien's project with bringing up Baron and Luthien as much as he did. He also loved it. He, I know. Well, as much as we wife. right. As much as we we hate um, Baron and Luthien, he loves. I don't hate it. I just so don't think much. it's that interesting. It's not that interesting. But, um. But fine, I take back. Uh, in this instance, Tolkien's not a bad writer. No, he's not a bad. He's. he's... <laughs> I'm taking back my slam earlier. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure it'll get revived at some other point when I become irritated. But for now, it's been withdrawn. He knows what he's doing. He's just not always great in his execution. I think that's it. I think because like Bilbo, and again, we see Bilbo being <laughs> oh my kind God, of he's in, such a dick in this chapter. Yeah, we really see him being maybe even more of an ass yeah. in this chapter than he was in the last one. I mean, I why think, is he such an asshole? Like, serious question. Is I don't it the know. ring? Did the ring make him a jerk? I don't know. Like, he's I don't, so self-absorbed. I have no idea. It's wild. He is insanely. I don't remember him being this self-absorbed in The Hobbit, but maybe I misremember. No, it's been a while. he's definitely okay. not. Like, he is such a. He's like, oh, Frodo, I don't think you'll be able to keep a diary, but I do expect you to give me a full report of what happens. I mean, I think I think Bilbo, I think he's supposed to be here's here's my maybe lame 
explanation that I'm just thinking of now. So beg your pardon if you hate it. I think Bilbo is supposed to be sort of this comic, like, I think it's Tolkien laughing at himself because I think Tolkien and Bilbo are the same, right? Bilbo is writing all these stories down. He wants to know, right? He is, he's the chronicler. We talked about a few episodes ago, you know, there are no chroniclers in Bree. Well, Bilbo is the chronicler in Rivendell. So I think Tolkien is Bilbo. And I think it's, I think he's supposed to be Tolkien poking a bit of fun at himself as sort of this odd, you know, erudite man who has spent his whole life just like, collecting stories about little ditties right so i i i think that's the purpose he's supposed to serve but yeah he is an ass such a jerk of these sections crazy to me i did not remember this the part about him the part at the end where he's like i don't think you'll be able to keep a diary but make sure you remember everything so you can tell me when you get back is just wild to me like never mind you're going into certain doom at this point like everyone thinks they're not gonna make it right and he's like but please Bilbo's like don't die so you can tell me so I can finish my book (laughs) I need to become a published author I don't want to have to give my no one will take me seriously (laughs) I don't want to have to return my advance oh my gosh so Bilbo 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 what are we gonna do with you I don't know but yeah, uh, he's, he's a jerk. Yep. He's a jerk, and Elrond is frustrating. Well, Elrond, the, yeah. I mean, he's even more frustrating in this section than the earlier ones. Like, he's really not yeah. trying at this point. He's like, well, I can't see what's beyond. Probably bad. Maybe not. There could be a few good things, but there also could be a lot of bad things. Elrond makes me so mad in this chapter. I told you, he's checked out, man. He... So Alrond, we know, he's sort of a seer. Like, he has visions mm. of the future. Not anymore, he doesn't. But he has some. I know, but, they're, Aaron, but they're, they're clouded, and it's dark. When it would be convenient for you, right? <laughs> like, that's what Alrond's visions are not helpful. No. Like, I mean, kind of. Is you his know, power which... diminishing? Is that? Maybe the, I think okay. I think that's it, and like you know, he can't see like the darkness certain endings, right? right? Yeah. So like he doesn't maybe know what's going to happen to the ring because it's going to. I mean, it makes sense. Go like into if he the did, realm of like, Sauron. The story would be pointless, right? So, but at the same time, then don't have him read the fortunes I of know, other people. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess it's to show right that again how the elves have dwindled. I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. Because I like, think we that's get, exactly it follows, what, what to follows be it, right, is this next chapter where we have repeated references to how like the natural world has decayed. Mm-hmm. And we're explicitly told at one point that, you know, the land retains a memory of the elves who live there. Mm-hmm. Um, but after they've been gone for a certain amount of time, it can become corrupted again. So I think these things are parallel, mm-hmm. right? That his sort of waning precognitive ability and then you know, as we go further out into the land where it's, yeah, like the streams are dammed up. Things look different. Gandalf is always saying like, this isn't how I remember it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like the land's changed. There's just like a lot of things are dead or gone. Um, mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's trying to parallel what, you know, the departure of the elves means more than just their leaving. Like the mm-hmm. land is 
also being changed by their departure. They're like Smokey the Bear. They keep the land safe for everyone to enjoy. Yes, and when Smokey the Bear is gone... He doesn't have his visions anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, they clearly are like the stewards of Middle Earth. I feel Mm -hmm. like the Silmarillion tells us that at Mm -hmm. one point or many points. And like the men aren't very good at it so far. No, only the Numenorians are good at it. But even they like got a little uh, twofold themselves. Mm -hmm. But so did the elves, right? Yeah, but they're like let off the hook a little bit. Like they, they don't are. get drowned <laughs> into a I do pit think, in the sea. I do think the elves so. are let off the hook a lot more than the. Mm. Well, the well, I guess I don't the know. They're, they're all they're all banished from uh, Valinor, that's so that's true. not great but for them. But they get to go across the sea. They get to live, mm. right? Well, that might be a punishment. They are the oldest children, though. You are correct, mm. and the most loved, most beloved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Elrond is like. You know, yeah. he knows what's up, right? right. He thinks he Mary and Pippin it. should yeah. go back to the mm-hmm. Shire because he has a sense that something which bad is, is going to happen there, which is correct. We find out in Return of the King. Interestingly, right? though, the source of that badness is not Sauron. He doesn't know. Right, he but I'm thinks... saying, right, like there's something about like he can't necessarily see the future as it relates to Sauron because Sauron's too powerful. But is it that Saruman isn't that he's able to see this other? Yeah, I don't know. Same thing with Boromir. Like he, That's true, yeah. Right? Boromir blows his horn before they leave, and he's basically like, slow should you be to win that like horn again until you're on the borders of your old land and in dire need. And so like he gives us, like, that's very specific. Yeah, but does that mean he knows? But I, but I think, I, I wonder if it's just because of like how Frodo is related to the ring. He can't. Mm. And because the ring is so... Right, like, what are the limitations? Again, we don't know, like, what limitations is Tolkien, the author, mm-hmm. setting on Elrond's ability to have foresight, right. right? Because the ring relates directly to the fate of Elrond. Is Elrond not able to see it clearly because he's not allowed to know his own, right? Like, you can't know your own future, otherwise do we you're ha- going to fuck it up, right? Do we have another... I'm trying to remember if we have another instance of that in the Silmarillion, where someone... Melian has foresight and she's okay. also very shady about like certain certain things. Yeah. I can't think of anything specific, but I know mm. that she and I think Galadriel too both have it. Okay. And like like you can't say any there's like no specifics regarding themselves. Mm-hmm. Like like I think maybe the line is that until it involves you, you can't Okay. Or you can know about it. Yeah, okay. I mean, I can only speculate, but I'm just curious why Elrond, Mm -hmm. you know, who's clearly very powerful, and like you said, we know his power is waning, Mm -hmm. but like, why doesn't he, you know, he can give Boromir such a specific kind of like prophecy, but he can't tell Frodo Mm -hmm. anything about, like he says he, he can't even give him counsel. Yeah. That's true. And I mean, I guess what he says to Boromir doesn't necessarily suggest completely to me that he knows Boromir's fate. Right, but he knows something. Yeah, right. I mean, I think it's hard to tell if that's just a general commentary on what they're going into versus a... I don't know. It's it's Well, this is one of those ambiguous... Like, 
ambiguities here though right because right. all he says is as you said like don't you know be careful not to <laughs> toot your own toot horn, your own horn <laughs> until you're close to your borders again um in a dire need which i it's a warning but i'm not sure it, it actually lets us know clearly that he knows what's gonna happen you know what i mean right like i, I don't know right and like he doesn't warn them that you know boromir might try to take the ring or yeah so there's like certain things he definitely doesn't know right um I don't know. He's full of like kind of vague. He's vague booking. Yeah. To bring back a term from 10 years ago. Um, but like he says, you know, you might find unexpected things that'll be helpful and things that like he's just super vague, but he's basically just like, well, good luck. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't, <laughs> um, I don't get Elrond here. I mean, I do. I do. I understand what Tolkien's doing. Yeah. Right. Right, and he can't give it be, away. Right, and it's supposed know. to be the fading of the elves. And I, but why do we have such a powerful elf mm, who's just like, sorry? Well, I wonder if it's related to to what he says <laughs> at one point about you know if I had the same amount of elves in armor that I did ages ago, it wouldn't do you any good. Mm. Like I'm wondering if that there's something parallel is being suggested there about just the place of the elves, like they just don't have the influence they. They once Used did. To. Yeah. And even if they did, like how much I guess how much help would it be to know <laughs> to potentially know all the things that are gonna happen? Like would it dissuade them? Right. Right. I I wondered that too. Like, does he know? Mm. And he's just not saying because they talk about how like if Frodo knew the danger yeah, he was he going into, he wouldn't hobbits, go. Yeah, so hobbits, like yeah. is Elrond actually, you know I think yes, because he has that line about Gandalf. Or he mm-hmm. says this might be your. It's, he says this is like mm-hmm. last something. Oh, what's the He's exact like this phrase? will be your great, your, like the your great, great good thing. Or or so, yeah, but it's like it, it suggests like maybe he knows because oh, he it says it in a way that suggests like you'll earn your kind of passage into the afterlife, right? Isn't that also what he? Ah, here it is. You found it. Yeah, so it's right when Elrond summons them all. He talks to Frodo, right? He says, you know, the time has come. And then further down, he says, the company of the ring shall be the nine and the nine walkers shall be set against the nine riders that are evil. With you and your faithful servant, Gandalf will go. For this shall be his great task and maybe the end of his labors. Mm -hmm. So it suggests that he sees something, whether it's Mm -hmm. his fall in Moria, which we haven't gotten to yet, spoilers, uh, or if it's his fall and return right either way mm-hmm. he, it's clear he knows something and like if if the hobbits knew that gandalf wasn't gonna make it or something you know like they would definitely not go right if frodo learned that gandalf would die at some point on the journey so i think maybe elrond is also hiding right some of the stuff so like yeah just because you have foresight doesn't mean everyone mm-hmm. needs to know what you see right yeah it's sort of similar to how we kind of assume gandalf knew all along that Frodo mm-hmm. would have to take it. I think mm-hmm. Elrond is also keeping back certain things that he sees. I don't know. Right. Like, what? how does he choose then? What is this? <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. He writes them all down. He puts a little star next to the things he's allowed to share. <laughs> he's like Nostradamus. He just shares enough that once the thing happens, you can look back and go, Elrond warned us. <laughs> yep. But it could apply right. to anything. It's like a fortune teller. Mm. 
Uh, welcome back. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We were, uh, we were uh, gonna we were gonna dive straight into the minds of Horia like just, graceful oh, swans, but knock a bucket down the well. Um, we decided we wanted to talk a little bit about Boromir in this section. Yeah, we started talking about him off. Well, not really off mic, off off recording time. Yes, in our downtime, <laughs> and uh, you know. I don't know about you, Aaron, but mm-hmm. the like first introduction to Boromir, you're kind of like, who is this tool? Right? Like he doesn't he doesn't paint himself in a great light. He seems kind of like he's very defensive, a a, right? That's he's thing. really defensive. He's, he seems like sort yeah. of just like a big jock, bully, mm-hmm. asshole. He just seems kind of a guy, really defensive about God. Yeah, he's not into Aragorn being king, yeah. which I guess. You know, he loves he loves Gondor. He does. <clears throat> he really does. And like that's what you learn about Bormir is like he loves Gondor. Yeah. Oh, man. Um Yep. But like I think in these chapters we start to see Boromir's true colors, which you know, Boromir is not spoiler alert with us long. By yeah. the end of this well, book he will be dying. He yeah, won't be he's dead, not dead yet. yet. Okay. He'll be I'll dying. Yes. <laughs> I'd be clear about that. Uh or on his way to dying. Um he's wounded one. Yeah. He's been pierced piercing damage, mm-hmm. you know. He's down a few hit points, but he's not he ain't dead yet. Mm-mm. Um you know, so I think Bormir is an interesting study because he's a character we don't have to be with very long, but I think a lot happens with him in the few kind yeah. of chapters that he's in so you know he's introduced to us in the council of elrond maybe he seems like kind of a dick he gets put in the fellowship um and he and aragorn seem to have sort of formed like this kind of nice right i was gonna say he's not really put in he volunteers to go right bond well he kind of gets put in because he's going back to gondor so like they're like yeah but he's like eager to yeah i mean he wants to accompany them right well, I think he wants to convince Aragorn yes, to come to, to Gondor. Go, right, he wants them to right, go like, through Rohan, the gap of Rohan. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Boromir certainly in these chapters, he's really strong willed. Like he has his opinions. He wants them mm-hmm. to go through the gap of Rohan. He does not want to go through the mines of Moria. Which, to be fair, he ain't wrong. He ain't, he ain't wrong. And he ain't alone on that one. Um, but also we see some kind of like lovely sides of Boromir Mm -hmm. as well. Um, You know, in the movie, this is portrayed really nicely when like he's having his little sword, like his little, he's teaching Mary and Pippin how to use their little, their little swords and they're having a sword fight and it's very sweet. Um, You know, and I think obviously we don't have that lovely little uh, domestic scene (laughs) here in the book, but we do get, you know, Gandalf or uh, Gandalf, well, Gandalf leads them over, um, you know, the pass of Caradhras, and Boromir is one of the first ones who's yeah. like, "This is going to kill the hobbits. We need to get the, you know, beat mm-hmm. feet out of here, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because the hobbits are going to die." He, you know, they talk about he's Aragorn's taller than him, but he's broader, mm-hmm. and he clears the path through the snow. Um, you know, in front of Aragorn or like with Aragorn mm-hmm. to yeah, get do it together, yeah. get them all out. And then he carries, you know, he picks up Mary and 
puts him on his back and carries him out um, of this kind of like snowy mountain pass that they're walking through. And so we see this kind of very valiant mm-hmm. um, side of Boromir as well. And it's really kind of kind, mm-hmm. you know, he's not, he's not a self-centered. He seems very self-centered. I think at the beginning, cause he is so like, ho, like gung ho for Gondor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I think we kind of see him as like this kind, caring figure here who's really thinking of the hobbits. Maybe he's already kind of selfishly thinking like, okay, got to save Frodo because we got to keep that ring in in play. Um, but I choose to not. I don't think we have think any real that. indication of that at this point. Um, you know. And he also, when everyone goes into the Mines of Moria, he's like, okay, I'll go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no, Elrond makes it very clear, there's no oath right. placed upon them. He could have turned aside. He could have gone by himself through the Gap of Rohan, but again, he's like, I'll go. Right. Um, and we know if he did, he wouldn't have been followed. Because right, it's Gandalf the ring says, they want, like, Yeah, right. he's like, the reason you're able to pass through that way the first time is because the ring wasn't with you. Mm-hmm. So no one cared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so we know that like if he left he would be able to return to Gondor yeah Mm -hmm. but right he decides to go but I think I think Bormir is interesting because although we get we don't get much of like an internal monologue for Bormir I think psychologically he's one of the more interesting characters you know we're talking offline about Turin right being kind of this tragic figure sort of bound to a certain fate that he can't escape and i think boromir perhaps we can think of in a similar way and again we'll probably discuss this further down the road and closer to boromir's death and when he tries to seize the ring from frodo but like kind of setting us up here for like how do we think of him in terms of sort of the psychological yeah it's a similar study character arc too right Mm -hmm. the fall to redemption right Right, because he dies redeemed. They both do, right? They both right. sacrifice themselves for mm-hmm. the greater good or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, so. so I just think, you know, we start to see a little bit more mm-hmm. about Boromir here. Um, and I think we do see Tolkien trying to, t- to indicate to us, the reader, that he, like, he isn't a malicious character. Right. You know, for right. wanting the ring. I think often it's kind of like, oh, Boromir's a bad guy because he wanted the ring. And I think Tolkien tries really hard to show us that he's not. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that this is where we first kind of see those sort of broader strokes being drawn of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, he's not this this evil character. Um, I, I think this is, and it, you know, again, <laughs> we try not to do too many movie comparisons. <laughs> But I do think the movies sort of failed the brothers, Boromir and Faramir. Like, I think by the end, the movie redeems Boromir. Yeah, I agree. But I think early on, they kind of set him up as sort of this, like... Well, it's because you need that tension there, right? Right. Yeah. It's a film that's much harder to create, I think, the sense of, I don't know, uh, threat that maybe mm -hmm. we have in this section of the book. Because it's all it's all kind of from vague sources right it's the weather it's Mm -hmm. um you know the crows (laughs) following them right like there's no kind of tension within the fellowship really at this point like even when they're making decisions they're never really arguing Mm -mm. there's no 
So as a film, right, it'd be hard to make that scene interesting if all the characters Mm -hmm. are for the most part getting along. So, right, you have to amp up him a little bit. Right, early on. Early on, right, right. with the scene where where he picks up the ring off the ground, right? Mm -hmm, Off the snow. Yeah, yeah. which we don't have here. Mm -mm. No, Um, he has no... We have no real indication other than what he says at the council that he's interested in taking the ring. Or like maybe we should take the ring, but yeah, I think so. I just I I I love Bormir as a character again mm-hmm. because he's complicated. Like Aragorn's pretty boring because he just is like, well, he's too pure, right? Right, exactly. Um, uh, it's like you yeah. know, Satan in Paradise Lost. Yeah, we want a little lines. bit of we want a little bit of complication yeah, um, and a little bit of sin, and I think Boromir gives us that so anyway I'm, yeah i know i mean we're getting ahead of it but the other thing too is right he he wants to take the ring for good reasons in his mind mm-hmm. right which is different mm-hmm. than saruman for example right mm-hmm. so so there is a way right. we've talked about this in the past with the ring like it brings out things in people that are already there and i think it is interesting that what it brings out in boromir is this sense of um duty to gondor Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of a weird, like, I mean, you could look at it negatively and see it as just like rote nationalism. But... Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, right? But um... uh, I think duty, I think duty to Gondor, right, mm. is more. And once we learn a little bit more about his relationship mm. with his father and his brother, I think it helps us to understand a little bit more, like, yeah, where that sense right. of duty comes from. And everything we hear about Gondor during the council, too, right? right? They've been fighting for everybody else. Like, that's sort of mm-hmm. the. And there's resentment there, perhaps mm-hmm. justifiably, right? That they've been fighting everybody's battle for way too long at this point. Yeah. Um, so it is interesting that what quality it preys on in him versus others. And again, this is going to come up again. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to this. <laughs> you know, probably several times before the end mm-hmm. of this book, but we're going to set ourselves up here yeah. to start talking a little bit more in depth about Boromir. Cause yeah, he's a compelling character mm-hmm. in a book of frankly, kind of flat yeah. <laughs> characters They're, in many ways. Yeah, he's one of the more complicated ones, right? People fit right into the little pegs mm-hmm. they're supposed to fit in. And I think besides like, you know, Faramir and at times Eowyn and, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's many more complicated <laughs> characters beyond that. Uh, Shelob, maybe. <laughs> Shelob's very complicated. The, the mouth gal. of Sauron. Her voice of Sauron. The mouth. Is it the mouth? Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, but I couldn't remember. Um. But yeah, I love Boromir. He's going to come up again. But I love, I really especially like Boromir in this section because mm-hmm. he is you know seems very uh very pure but not an annoying way like aragorn and like a i'm thinking of others kind of way we see why he's next in line yeah to be steward yeah because he loves gondor loves it so freaking much i just like really love gondor he's wearing like swim trunks with like the white tree on them (laughs) it's like he's got like an i heart ny (laughs) t-shirt on it's I heart G N D R empty. Yeah. Um. 
But anyway, so after Boromir, yeah, after Boromir saves all the hobbits from the snows of Caradhras, um, to Moria, we must go because we're being chased by wargs. We can't go over the mountain. We have to go under it. That's right. Just like that song about a bear hunt. Can't go over it. Gotta go under it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Moria. Moria. Word for it, though. Moria. It's underground. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Very deep underground. Um, I have a question for Mm -hmm. you. So in the text, Mm -hmm. again, versus the movie, very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gandalf really wants to go through Moria. Aragorn is the one who's like, no, 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 that's a really bad idea. Not into that. Done it once. Don't need to do it again. Mm -hmm. It's like how I feel about going to Terre Haute. (laughs) Did it once. Don't Don't need need to do it again. Don't need to smell those farts Mm -hmm. again. Do you think this makes Gandalf's death more tragic? No. I mean, I don't I don't think so. Explain. I I mean, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, it, I didn't feel that any more than because. Do you think it makes his death less tragic? No, I don't think because he brought it about himself. I don't think it has himself. any. I mean, it didn't ha- I, I didn't read it as having a bearing one way or the other on it. Honestly, at that point, um, I do think it's interesting that they have such polar opposite reads of Moria because they've both been there. Yeah, like that's that's going to be my follow up is why do you think mm-hmm. Gandalf wants to go through? Well, the how mines? much longer ago was he there versus Aragorn? I don't think we know because okay. that might have I'd... something to do with it. Yeah, I don't think we know okay. like the time frame, but they were both there mm-hmm. when they were not like, like it was obviously not a actively yeah. mines, mm-hmm. and they both seem to know that there's some sort of evil. Right, but neither of them know exactly what it is, right? I mean, Gandalf makes right. a reference to the orcs once were there, but he thinks mm-hmm. since the five, Battle of the Five Armies, they have not returned, mm-hmm. but he's not mm-hmm. sure. He says, I hope they haven't, basically. Right. Um, I think that's Gandalf who says, I don't think it's Aragorn. Yes, it's Gandalf. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're both, a, like, the whole, we've been hearing about Moria kind of on and off for a while at this point, mm-hmm. and it's always with this kind of vague notion of doom. <laughs> Yeah, dread. Dread, yeah, except for Gimli, who really wants to go. Yeah, he wants to go see his cousin, Bali. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gonna. Ripe meat off the, the bone. bone. I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> Ripe meat? Yeah. I don't either. Um, Does that mean it's rotten? <laughs> I think so. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what explains the, the completely different read on it. I guess part of it is Gandalf says, you know, he doesn't want to be seen. So I don't know if that's partly why Gandalf wants to go that way. He says this will, mm-hmm. you know, take us out of vision mm-hmm. for a while. But that's only really after they come down from the mountain. So I'm not sure if right. that's like and his motivation all along. Aragorn is like that frustrating person who's like, I don't want to do that, but I don't have any other ideas. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Aragorn does not have any suggestions besides moria well it sounds like he there's no other way right doesn't want to go through moria right. so helpful aragorn mm-hmm. um but yeah it's an it's interesting like you know yeah n- no one wants to go in no uh so gimli 
except Gimli because they know that something. Yeah, even bad. the hobbits are like, we've heard bad stuff about this place. Yeah, it's just... but no one knows what it is. No. But then also, like I said in the notes, um, you know, both Gandalf and Aragorn have traipsed through Moria. I know. But they're both like, mm, maybe dwarves are still in there. I don't like, where do they think they are? This is what I don't understand. And this is a thing. This is where I think Tolkien is a bad writer. Okay. I don't think he's thinking. Yeah, because I don't. Yeah, I don't understand where they would have been, where they wouldn't have seen them, and they could still right. think they were in. There. I mean, I guess it's huge, but still. But like, the path that they take through Moria at this at this point in time seems to be the one that Gandalf maybe took through the last time, and it seems to go through sort of the central hub, right? Of like Dwarodelf is like this city <laughs> essentially. So how would he have not seen a, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's oh, a little, man. it's a little murky. <laughs> um, because we have no time scale for either of them. We have no idea. Right. And we don't really have a time scale for Moria either. We don't really know when it, yeah, I went exactly. I mean, so you have kind of. Like, I mean, we know that it was kind of in its heyday during the Second Age, when like the, and then at some point, like the uh, feuding between elves and dwarves started, and it fell to ruin at some point there. And then after the events of the Hobbit, Balin, right? Balin came back to try to like colonize it. Uh, and like it didn't you know he died because of the Balrog um, which no one else seems to know about right I guess or is that the thing they're all afraid of but no one's saying it <laughs> well that seems to be the thing that seems to be kind of this like unspoken horror but it seems like no one really knows what it is okay Right, like it doesn't seem like anyone can say like, "Oh, there's a Balrog in there, and that's why it's scary." Mm. It just seems like they know it's scary for some reason, but like they don't. Right. Nobody can put a finger on it. Mm. Maybe Gandalf knows. But then, why would you want to go in there if he knows there's a Balrog down there? Well, I, exactly. I don't know. Okay. Does he think if they can be sneaky enough? I mean, that's what the movie. They can just, sneak but... past it, right? But I don't know if the book and kind of what the book the suggests. Book he gets too, so yeah. mad at Pippin for dropping that stone down that yes. well. So, yeah, I, right. There maybe is. Maybe he does. I mean, it's clear by the time they get to that point, though, right, that something's wrong. Right. So I, I still don't know if that answers the question. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still not sure that answers the question for us of his original kind of. Like, at that point, is he just like, we better not make any noise because I don't know what killed all these people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we don't get the famous line. No. This isn't a mine; it's a tomb. Just such a good line. Oh, I got to give it to Peter Jackson. That's really good. It's a good moment in that movie. Um, but like, I I don't know. Moria's very confusing. It is. I mean, I I like it, but nothing it's... about it makes any sense. <laughs> and like, my question here: Does the atmosphere that Tolkien creates in Moria equal the dread that everyone seems to have regarding Moria? Or does like the mm. right? Is this one of the instances mm. where like everyone's like, "Oh, Moria, Moria! It's such a scary place." So like, everyone dreads it. You know, like, does yeah. is it actually that 
scary to go through. I think it's unsettling, right? Up until this point, right? Yeah, we haven't I, met the Balrog yeah, so yet. It gets not, scary, actually. But I mean, I, I think up there. until this point, there is this prevailing sense. That you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. The whole time. Yeah, this is suspense. This is Tolkien mm-hmm. doing suspense. It's like when they're steaming down the river in Heart of Darkness, right? Like, you know something bad's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the atmosphere, I, I mean, this is kind of a trick question because I think the atmosphere he creates. Yeah, I think it works. Like, equals the dread. And I think the fact that they sort of all dread to go into Moria adds to this atmosphere, right? Mm. If you're scared to go into a place, you're going to be more, yeah, like, spooked yeah. by everything in it. It's this, like, nameless um, fear, too, right? Right, and remember, like, okay, so this is probably a niche experience for okay. a lot of people. Have you ever been to Mammoth Caves? Okay, so this is, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. So, like, when I was, I don't remember how old, young, we went to Mammoth Caves. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I'm just trying to help people understand the sense of, like, darkness that oh yeah sure sure right be in these minds so we think of dark okay like you know you're in your bedroom at night and there's light seeping through the curtains or whatever when you're in mammoth caves they do this thing where you go into sort of the main cavern and if you do a tour they're like okay you know in 18 whatever people discovered these caves and they started you know exploring them this is how dark it would have been <laughs> and they turn off all the lights yeah it is i, sc- I as like an eight-year-old or whatever <laughs> i screamed out loud when they killed yeah. the lights it is suffocating yeah i mean you have no idea what complete darkness feels like until you are underground in the dark yeah like it's this so that's like especially spooky mm-hmm. when you think about it in those terms. You know, they talk about how they feel like they feel openings. Yeah, right. They don't yeah. see them. They can just like walk past and they can feel openings like you can't see down. That's yeah. Yeah, it's it's very it's very spooky. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think Tolkien sets up this sort of atmosphere very nicely. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah. It's one of the better sections of the book. Yeah, I love the Mines mm-hmm. of Moria. What is this thing in the water, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to Moria, what is this? See, what is this kraken that chases them in? I don't know. Where did it come from? Where did it go? I want to know where it came from because this lake is artificially Made. created. So, like, how did it get Correct. there? Correct. Where did it come from? I Just don't know. Put it there? And if someone put it there, who put it there? Who? Like, did it crawl out of the ground? I don't think so, because I would be underwater. I, yo, who? <laughs> who knows? Tell me. I don't know. I mean, this is right because this yeah. is a damned yes, lake. Because at the one point way... it was a stream. Because Gandalf remembers it before it was damned. So, it... uh huh. So at some point, in between the last time Gandalf was here. Some someone damned the lake. I guess the dwarves like was this something Balin did when he came back? I don't think so, because this lake seems like very sinister. It does. I mean, from the beginning, we're told it like doesn't reflect no, light. It's, it's really, like, like really spooky. Gross. But yeah, so right. So who <laughs> who put it there? 
I don't think the Balrog is too into like water rerouting. That's not the impression I get from him. No, he's a fire creature. Yeah, I don't think he's, he's building dams, touching a lot of water. Like, do the orcs have done? I, I don't. Yeah, maybe the orcs. I but guess. Like, why? The orcs don't like. To they don't really block do anything. Off the gates. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. Oh yeah, I mean it's clearly a defensive measure. I'm wondering. That's why I was wondering if Valen did do it when this all started to go pear shaped. I don't know. Yeah, it's so. Frodo says, what was that thing? Or were there many of them? Mm -hmm. Gandalf says, I do not know, but the arms were all guided by one purpose. Something has crept or has been driven out of dark waters under the mountains. There are older and fouler things than orcs in the deep places of the world. He did not speak aloud his thought that whatever it was that dwelt in the lake, it had seized on Frodo first among all the company. So So it did come out of the mountains somehow. It, it crept out of like a subterranean lake, I suppose. You know, yeah, or it's somehow are, connected to this. Those are those are things. Yeah, <laughs> it's amphibious. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, it's horrible because it's only referred to as snakes. Right. We we get very little. Yeah, little like again, the Peter Jackson imagining of this as sort of this kraken esque creature. Is kind of a liberty because I mean, Tolkien yeah. only ever describes it as a lot of snakes. Yeah. And it's terrifying. It's pretty great. I think I like this less than the Balrog, honestly. Yeah, I would say it's. Uh, yeah, I would say it's. At least the Balrog is kind of cool. <laughs> Has like a hmm? flaming whip. He does. And like a, you know. I don't know flame and shadow not He's a cool. slimy monster coming mm-hmm. out of the water no grab I don't your like ankles thing. but like i want to know more about it maybe i'll google it um what do they call it the lake lake monster <laughs> the lake plastic lord of the rings lake creature we'll start with there okay the watcher in the water ah yes i is have what it is that. called yes i have that uh Oh, so it says his presence was first recorded by Bal- uh, Balin's dwarf company 30, so, 30 or so years before the beginning of Fellowship. It ate Oin. There you go. And of course, people have compared it to Scylla and Charybdis, sure. Sure. Right. Rock in a hard place. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay, so when the Fellowship of the Ring found the Book of Mazarbol in the Chamber of Mazarbol, Gandalf read that the pool is up to the wall at the West Gate. The Watcher in the Water took Oin. We cannot get out. Yeah, okay. Uh, one essayist thinks that the Watcher might be a kraken created and bred by Morgoth. Oh, interesting. Morgoth yeah. was doing some breeding. <laughs> Uh, and that it represents a gatekeeper whose goal in the context of the journey is to keep heroes from entering new territory psychologically or spiritually. So Joseph Campbell all over that. Yep. Uh, I don't know what else. I'd have to read the essay, but. That seems like a reach. That Morgoth created yeah. it, but maybe not. I don't know. We yeah, can't just I say mean, everything scary and bad is Morgoth. Morgoth's creation. I mean, it could be like a Shelob type thing, right? Yeah, we have no idea. Oh, we have no answers, though, unfortunately. And neither does anything. I mean, 
Tolkien yeah. Gateway doesn't really have any no. good answers. Well, it's one of those things, right? He just throws in there and doesn't bother yeah. to explain, which is fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose we don't need I mean, we don't really need an explanation for anything. No. You know, uh, I mean, it's just a creepy monster and we know Tolkien loves monsters, so. Yeah, he's a creature of the deep trying to he's just trying to eat, man. Mm. He's just hungry, senses some easy prey. Maybe, sporting uh, a shiny ring and he's got to take what's his. Maybe it's Olmo in a different form. <laughs> I did think about that. Uh, what does Olmo, what does uh, Olmo have to say about these creepy water creatures? No. Uh, but I do love it. Wow, this whole, this whole chapter is good. It's great. I think it's great. Feels very HP Lovecraft to me. It does. Right. We've got, we've got a Lovecraftian <laughs> monster. Now, Lovecrafty and Hara, Hara, <laughs> and Aldrich Hara, and Aldrich Hara. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, all of his stories are set in Massachusetts, basically. So they all bust accents. I mean, they don't all. That's bust right. Accents, but... We're gonna ruin H.P. Lovecraft for you <laughs> by giving everyone in those those stories East Coast accents. They all sound like the may not be Boston, but they're still pretty bad. Um, is that it? I think so. I mean, <laughs> I feel like what more can we say? It's Friday. I, we talked about the mines where a million diamonds shines. shine. I'm done for now. Okay. For now, yeah. as am I, we will talk to you next time. Thank we'll you so much you. for listening. Excuse me. What was that? I said, or Momo? talk at you. <laughs> Well, we are always talking <laughs> yeah. at you, frankly. This is not a conversation between us and you. This is simply you listening to us converse. Uh, but thank you for listening hmm. to us converse. As always, if you have questions or comments, if you want to yell at Aaron for saying that Tolkien is a bad writer, <laughs> Go right please feel free to tweet, Instagram message, or email us. We're always happy to listen to your angry rants, your thoughtful questions, or your, you know, I'm just playing the Boromir. Musings. To our um, dynamic here. <laughs> Gotta add that. Right. Because we needed one. <laughs> and anywho, next time we will be discussing the Bridge of Casa Doom. Ba, 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 ba. Oh, Howard's um, back. Hey, Howard. And yes, that was original by uh, Howard Shore. And honestly, I think that might be it because it's the Bridge of Casa Doom and then we're in uh, Lothlorien. Right. Well, maybe both those because okay. that's the Mirror of Galadriel. So we'll say next time we'll be discussing okay. the Bridge of Casa Doom and Lothlorien. If it turns out to just be one, um, you know, then you'll, we'll have read both. You'll have read both and surprise. Your disappointment will only last for an extra week or so. That's right. Yeah. So um, anyway, as always, we appreciate you. Mm hmm. We thank you. Mm -hmm. We will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Should we talk about Boromir briefly when we come back and then...
Yeah, we can talk about okay. Warmer briefly. I think here's a good point. He is kind of like Turin. Except he doesn't fuck his sister. We don't know. <laughs> he does. Maybe he fucks his brother. <laughs> okay, well, let's keep your fan fiction out of our <laughs> podcast. 